the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. It is 11.34 p.m. on the East Coast. We have... UCLA currently holding a 17-3 lead against Stanford. North Carolina and Pitt have just gone final, 42-24. Figured like a good time for us to sit down for our weekly chat. Let's go. It's an instant reaction podcast. Now, here's what we've got in store for you. Yes, we are going to break down some of our predictions for the new AP Top 25 poll after seven ranked teams took losses here in Week 9. A lot of shakeup, not necessarily at the top, but still plenty to chew on. We are going to go conference by conference, trying to highlight some of our biggest takeaways. But I want to begin uh, with two games that uh, individually, I think there's takeaways for the winners, there's takeaways for the losers, but they are important because of how they are hooked together. Because Georgia 42, Florida 20, Tennessee 44, Kentucky 6. Georgia, the reigning national champion in college football, the number one team in the country, according to the AP Top 25, is going to host Tennessee, without a doubt, one of the stories of college football this year, if not the story in college football this year. We've got our superlatives coming up on Wednesday. When we're talking about team of the month, I'm not going to play spoiler but I'll tell you who I think should be team of the month for the month of October. And they are wearing those colors, orange and white. So let's start with Georgia and Florida, but Tennessee and Kentucky, again, Tennessee 44, Kentucky six, a dominant performance in a ranked on ranked matchup for the Bulldogs against the Gators. I, I was on CBS sports HQ for pregame halftime postgame. I felt like I was being negative. I felt like I was nitpicking. I, I wonder if I was just holding Georgia to too high of a standard. What was your read of the Bulldogs in this performance? They they killed them. They they did on the scoreboard, and it was it was scoreboard domination. But they kind of played with their food in the third quarter. Um, 
but they were up 28 to three. And I think it's understandable that you would take your foot off the gas a little bit up 28 to three potentially, because you know, Florida is kind of inept. I did not watch the first half of this. I figured I would watch if it was close in the second half. Uh, maybe I should watch the entire first half because CBS is my employer. Uh, but ultimately it sounded like they weren't running Richardson much. You guys had eyes on this and, until later in the game because Danielson was making a big deal about it. He's like, oh, now they want to they want to run Richardson. It, like what? I, I mean, the game was never in doubt. It just they were kind of sloppy. They killed them. Like I, like you said, it was twenty eight to three at halftime. In the third quarter, Tennessee puts together one drive. Okay, it is a thirteen play. 75-yard drive, ETN scores to finish it off, makes it a 28-10 to game. It was a nice drive, no taking it away. The best drive Florida had all day. Then Florida gets a short field, gets a field goal. Then there's a play with a breakdown in coverage, just a guy running free, gets a long 78-yard touchdown, and it made the game look close. It was a one-score game all of a sudden. But then as soon as it became a one-score game and Georgia was like, oh, okay, we got to play some more. They just marched right down the field, 78 yards, six plays, touchdown, game over again. Like, yeah, they played with their food. It's like an orca batting a seal around with its tail in the ocean for a while before it eats it. Maybe sometimes the seal gets away for a little bit, but it's going to get eaten eventually. So it really was, I, it was close. But I, well, I never, I, that's why I said I felt like I was nitpicking. I was not judging Georgia against Florida. I was judging Georgia against a standard that I think it's going to take to beat Tennessee and 50% passing and two interceptions and anything not named Brock Bowers not really being all that effective kind of seemed like, it's like, uh-oh, what's going to happen when you have to go maybe blow for blow with Tennessee? And we also dealt with, uh, was it Nolan Smith with a shoulder injury, I believe it was? Like That's a linebacking crew that already has a lot of sophomores, a lot of young players that are in there. It is a defense that has already taken a couple of injuries. I just It, it was impossible for me to look at Georgia in this game. I acknowledge that in the competition itself, they dominated, but I was like, okay, we'll see. This is a team that, to me, looks vulnerable, even as they are the home team with Tennessee coming to town. I disagree. I mean, I'm not saying Tennessee can't beat them. I just don't think Georgia looks vulnerable. Tennessee could beat Georgia. But, I I mean, Florida had an offensive success rate of 23% today. Like, it, they didn't do anything. It's just well, Florida's Georgia. not that – Florida's not a good team. No. I, I understand that. But I don't think that Georgia kind of taking the day off or just kind of taking its foot off the gas for a quarter means that they were looked vulnerable. I think it was just, oh, okay, they made a couple plays. And as soon as they were vulnerable – it was over because Georgia started playing football again. They were fully, we talked about it all week. They went into full, all right, let's get ready for Tennessee mode. And Florida kind of made a game of it for a second because they did that a little too early. But as soon as they had to get their stuff together, they got their stuff together. Does that mean I think they're going to beat Tennessee? No. Doesn't mean I think they're going to lose to them because of that, though. What What did uh, What did Tennessee beat Florida by? Just that, that game was only about, what, three or four weeks ago now? Five points, I think, Five right? Points. And and Georgia's up twenty eight to three and, and wins by twenty two. Twenty two. Game games never really close. I I don't know that they are vulnerable. I do wonder like how healthy will Nolan Smith be for the game. I think Chip brings up a great point there. Uh, how well does Georgia's pass rush get to Hendon Hooker if you don't have to blitz him? Right. How well will the secondary hold up? But also, I mean, 
Kentucky had like one or two nice drives tonight on Tennessee, and I'm sure we'll transition as soon as Chip wants to on that. But, I mean, Tennessee's defense has looked pretty vulnerable, and Georgia moved the ball. Like, is Tennessee's defense that much better than Florida's? I have it as better, but I'm not sure that it's world's better. I think it's much. I think it's very good against the run. I still have some suspicions about it against the pass, and I don't think anything we saw today. Like, they played well tonight against Kentucky, and we'll get to that shortly, I'm sure, but Kentucky's offense stinks, so I don't really put a whole ton of faith in it. I love Pete Helms in the chat. Amazing. <laughs> Is he coming in with the Tom Pornelli? Is that his name? No, no, no. no. he called me, called me a smooth brain. He, he's under his own name. Okay. What's up, Pete? Good to see you, bud. Um, I just, you know... I spent too much time watching this game, watching it too closely. So I'm glad that I was able to uh, to to get back because I'm again I'm I'm looking for perfection. I'm looking for domination. I'm looking for the boom mother bleeper slow motion Kirby Smart sideline celebration. And it's just you know Stetson wasn't great. Not not a great game for Bennett. I thought that Edwards was okay. I thought running the ball they were okay. Play, playing with your food. He's okay. He averaged nine yards a carry. <laughs> that was just okay? Yeah, it was just okay. Okay. You rip off a couple long... I mean, just okay. okay. Rip off a couple long runs. Okay. All right. Good mm-hmm. enough. So, like, how many how many long runs does he have to have to be, to be good? I just, just give it. This is an instant reaction, Tom. That was my reaction. <laughs> I'm just saying he had a 20 yard run, another 20 yard run, and a 22 yard run. Yeah, that's that's how that's how you start to stack them up. I feel like I feel like if a quarter of your runs for 20 yards, that's pretty good. We're doing doing okay. It was, I said he was just okay. All right, all right. Yeah. 239 yards on 40 attempts as a team. Sure. <laughs> it, was, it was an okay day. It was okay. All right, so you mentioned that Tennessee uh, game against Kentucky. Uh, so hilarious how quickly this game got sideways. This was, uh, I did not get a lot of the end of this game. In fact, Bud Elliott even said on Twitter, where you can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 that the game had been moved to the iPad. I think that was at 27-6 to 6 after uh, Hyatt had gotten loose again, maybe yep. right after the turnover. It's like, oh well, here we go. This is a this is going to be a problem. What went wrong for Kentucky, um, or what was Tennessee doing to make things so difficult? I think a couple things. One, uh, all week we talked about can Tennessee be patient and execute underneath if uh, if Kentucky is able to sort of do that because we were speculating that Kentucky would not allow just the bomb after the bomb after the bomb like it did last year because. Tennessee, I think, had, had four or four or five scores of, of 40 plus. And that's what Kentucky tried to do tonight. And Tennessee in the first half still hit them for two long shots. But they did show, they did make Tennessee show that they could be a patient physical team underneath, which, which I think is something that some other teams will probably try to do. So it's nice to know they kind of have that weapon in the quiver. Now, on the other hand, Tennessee did not allow a play of 25 plus in the period that I was checking. So I didn't look at the last five minutes of the game. It's garbage time to me anyway. It doesn't matter. Basically, they're like, hey, Kentucky, can you be patient? Can you be physical and execute consistently down the field without committing a penalty or getting a tackle for loss 
or being late on a throw that almost gets the hospitals or like the receivers into the hospital. And they couldn't, right? Like it was a nice job of defensive discipline and patience by Tennessee. And ultimately, I mean, Will Levis, uh, he has a big arm, guys, really big arm. Josh, Josh Allen type of arm, I guess. 16 of 27 for 98 and three picks. Not going to get it done. Kind of looked like he looked, he looked the same as he looked at Florida, right? Just against Florida, he had one bomb, and uh, Kentucky had two pick sixes. So, really rough knife, Will Levis. Yeah. 16 of 27, 98 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, I don't think his offensive line did him a whole lot of favors, but I don't think he did himself a whole lot of favors with some of the throws and the decisions he was making. And I do think, like, it was. What's kind of messed up for me, like I don't, like Kentucky's defense actually did a pretty good job on first down. Like Tennessee was in a lot of second and third and long kind of situations where they were getting put off schedule, but they were still they went five of twelve on third down despite the average distance they needed to be seven point two yards, and they were zero for three on the third and long. So it's like second down it seems to be when Tennessee was killing Kentucky in this one, and it's just the thing that stands out to me though for. Is Jalen Hyatt invisible? <laughs> because Tennessee ran the same play that it ran against Alabama like 20 times. It ran it like 20 times again tonight. And Jalen Hyatt just keeps getting left wide open down the sideline. The safety keeps following the slant inside and leaving a whole bunch of room. And now there's Jalen Hyatt catching five passes for 138 yards and two touchdowns. Like, if I'm Georgia, I think I'm spending the week watching tape saying, if that guy goes to the outside, follow him. I think you're muted. Boom. Classic. All right. Yeah. <laughs> on, on, on the first one, <laughs> uh, on, on the first one, I'm really not sure what, what happened. On, on the second one, and they look kind of similar, I, I think when they did a little switch release, right, not, we're not, not not switch release. Excuse me. When, when they do a little swap pre-snap, I think Kentucky has to convert that to where they both have to carry vertically, and instead you have your number one defender just give the guy a little bump and continue to play sort of like like, like a little like like flat sag concept, which isn't going to work if you have two guys running at the same safety. So they basically just w- with a little pre-snap motion got Kentucky uh, to play a two-on-one which is great in basketball and also great in football. If you're Tennessee, it's terrible if you are Kentucky, which basketball season is coming soon. Uh, look, Tennessee's a pretty good team, guys, and that offense is nice. You have a very veteran dude running it in a hooker, and uh, I thought Kentucky's defense actually had a pretty game effort tonight. It made him earn it for the most part, except for just kind of two mistake pitches, and he doesn't seem to miss those very often. I mean, Kentucky is almost fully morphed into Iowa now, where its defense does – as good of a job as you can ask for it against an elite offense, but there's no hope because they can't score points anyway. Not to be a Kentucky podcast because they're out, they're about to be out of the top 25, I would assume. Are we sure this is the same offense they ran last year? Like I know schematically, and they say it came from, came from the same Rams, you know, Sean McVay, Rams tree and all that stuff. It doesn't look like it to me. Like they, they don't look as smooth. I know they lost players on the O-line at receiver, but, I don't know, man. Like they, the play caller they had in Cohen might have been a, a pretty important piece for that team, and now he's gone. 
I mean, I think it looks the same simply because I've never really been a big fan of Sean McVay. <laughs> so but, you're not a fan of this offense, and therefore it's like, ah, well, there you go. Of course it's from the Sean McVay tree. Yeah, but I, I think, no, I don't – I I, I feel like tonight, I don't know, like I don't think they did a very good job tonight in any department, but I also feel like they were in a bad spot because like this offensive line is bad, and we've talked about it a lot. It's a bad line. I know that we talked about it a little bit pre-show. They've got talent at the receiver position, but – if you were to ask a non-Kentucky fan or a non-hardcore college football fan to name a Kentucky receiver, they'd probably have a really hard time doing it just because you don't hear a whole lot from them because they don't do a very good job of getting them the ball. Chris Rodriguez, I thought, did pretty well considering the situation that they were in. And they were also just like when you're down multiple scores to Tennessee, you kind of only have one card you can play. You have to keep throwing. And that's just not really what Kentucky is built to do. And it put him in a bad situation. And that's, again, going back to it, if you consider Will Levis a first-round draft pick or one of the top QBs in the class, you would think he would be in the kind of player that would be in a, I just got to drop back and throw a situation. But when Kentucky gets put in that situation, he's not good and they're not good. And that really showed tonight. Defensively, Kentucky was trying to take away the big play for a little bit. Tennessee could run the ball effectively. And then all of a sudden, when you try to stop that, big play. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. And when Tennessee's able to run the ball against you, you're done. Screwed. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. done. Want to know real quickly in any game that Tennessee plays how it's going to go? Can they run the ball? You'll find out the rest after that. Um, anything else on Georgia, Florida, or Tennessee, Kentucky? I'm really looking forward to that game. To make her again. Yeah. 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch it on CBS. You can stream it on Paramount+. Plus. It is guaranteed to be a one-versus-three matchup, according to the AP Top 25 poll. It might be a one-versus-two, according to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. We will find out on Tuesday. We will also be doing a show on Tuesday night reacting to the new college football playoff rankings. So be sure that if you have not already, that you are subscribed, that you smash the bell for notifications or however you get the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, once we have 1 through 25 all final, shortly after that, we will be going live to break it all down. A team that would like to have a word in that debate for being one of the top two teams in the country is the team that sits at number two in the AP top 25 poll, Ohio state 44 Penn state 31. The Buckeyes trailed 14, 13 at halftime. And then this weird thing happened. It happens in college football. Talent showed up. Mm -hmm. The man who we spent what? four months, five months waiting for him to officially put pen to paper a couple recruiting cycles ago. Like I was already going to remember uh, JT to Imoloau because we waited so long for him to officially commit. It's Ohio State. I don't know. Oh, Alabama's in it. Oh, no. We'll see here. Like last five star to commit. He's going to drag it all the way out till the summer. Well, congratulations, Ryan Day and the Ohio State staff because the player that you were able to secure in this very late commitment in the cycle, now as a sophomore, single-handedly led to 21 points in a game that was decided by 13 points. JTT was a monster in this game. Uh, lots to get to in terms of the breakdown of this. What do we think of the Buckeyes in the victory in Happy Valley? Can, can we pull the clip of us talking about like why this kid's worth the wait? 
and maybe for Monday show, if we can go back and, and figure out what episode that was. But I remember us talking. I was like, guys, he literally lines up at receiver in seven on at damn near. Th- remember we were talking about this? Well, he was They're talking like, after the game about being a basketball player and just yeah. like they were like, how were you able to have like two interceptions in one game? How are you able to get a, like the hand skills, the ball skills, everything about his agility? Like it all comes down to him just being an unreal athlete through and through. There are a lot of these kids that are big that end up playing seven on, and, and it's because their coaches want them to work on certain skills. With JT, it was because he was actually good, despite the fact he was like 6'4", 280, playing receiver slash tight end in seven on. And that that showed up. I mean, that was uh, – his quickness was was the difference, man. That was wild. He, he had the deflection on Penn State's first possession that – led to Zach Harrison getting the pick. But when he got the pick on the second possession, he jumped the route. <laughs> he was a defensive end who dropped back into coverage, read the play, and jumped the route and beat the short hitch to pick it off. And then on the pick six, he just plucked the thing right out of the damn air. Like It was not like some little soft toss. Clifford was throw, like throwing a rocket. He just reached up. Nope, that's mine. And he just strolled into the end zone. And then, yeah, in between that, let's see, he had the strip sack, he forced the fumble, recovered it on his own. Like, he had two sacks in the game. This is, like, I, I talked about it. Ohio State was missing. They had their Joey Bosa. They had their Nick Bosa. They had Chase Young. In the last few years, they just haven't had that guy. They have that guy again. And their defense is really good because of it. Because, like, there, we saw at times today, their secondary is still somewhat of a concern. Penn State was kind of just running the Baylor offense out there. Like they they had their receivers on the hashes, the very, very far hashes. They were spreading things out and they were finding little, you know, pockets of space and they were moving the ball through the air doing it. So there are questions there, but it turns out the best player in Ohio State secondary is their defensive end. Because seriously, I have the seven on seven drills worked clearly because he jumped the route like a corner. Do you know what Ohio State has not had up front the last couple of years? Dudes. Really since kind of the Boses. And now they have Zach Harrison coming on the last couple of games and playing much better. If if JT's gonna get gonna play to this level, right? <laughs> and they don't and they don't suck on the inside. Like we said, hey, if you could trade for like, like a number one pick, you're like a first round type D tackle, they could use that. But man, this offense with how often it gets to play with the lead. If they can do this kind of stuff with the pass rush, that's that's pretty special. Like I, I don't know that they have the best resume right now. Although I think going on the road and beat Penn State by two or three scores is pretty impressive. But man, that is a really good team right there. And look, honestly, they gave up a bunch of yards. They they did, but Penn State was able to run a ton of plays in part because they kept getting the ball back because Ohio State had short fields. And I mean, guys. No turnovers, four turnovers. That's kind of your your mm. difference there. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Turnovers just killed them. Yeah. Oh, they still have that that little little problem in the red zone against uh, mm. against decent defenses that we talked about last week and got yelled at for why, why are you nitpicking Ohio State? Five. Oh, well, it's okay because their most competition in the Big Ten does the same damn thing. <laughs> yeah. So let, yeah, but take the under in Michigan Ohio State right now. <laughs> Although the other should have won in this damn game, 45.4th quarter, very unsportsmanlike in my opinion. Oh, any anybody out, out there uh, in the live chat or if you're listening at home, live that 
sweet life of watching Ohio State take a close game, look like they're going to cover, only to see Penn State come kick the back door in down the stretch. I was not involved in it, but it was hilarious to watch. In a couple pickums, yeah. That was uh, – I, I was interested. I do want to say, though, like nitpicking Ohio State time. C.J. Stroud was not great today. I didn't think the play calling was especially good. Ryan Williams leaves the game with an injury. Significant. Yeah. Uh, Trevion Henderson busts for a 41 yard touchdown to put the game away late, but like they could get, they were getting pretty much anything they wanted over the middle and they kept throwing to the sidelines. And I just didn't understand what they were trying to do with that. But like Stroud threw for 354 yards, only had the one touchdown Marvin Harrison jr. It's not fair that you lose the best receiver in the country. And he hardly plays at all this season. And then it turns out you just replace him with the guy who might be the best receiver in the country. Uh, Parker Washington was phenomenal for Penn State. He had 11 catches for 179 yards and a touchdown. and made some really difficult catches. And my other note from this game is I really wish Gus Johnson would stop calling them the world-famous Ohio State Buckeyes because I know Gus has a lot of nicknames for players, which I'm fine with, but that nickname kind of feels like something an Ohio State radio broadcast would call the team. And it's like, even as a neutral observer, when I hear Gus calling them the world-famous Ohio State Buckeyes, it feels way too homery. And if I was like a Penn State fan or a fan of the other team that they were playing, it would drive me insane. There were so many references early. I made a, a note in our work Slack. I was like, he's got a bet going. Hey, <laughs> I, bet, I bet you I can't get this in nine times in a four-hour broadcast because he had like three of them in the first four minutes of the game. Yeah, and then by like the fourth quarter, he was just calling them the world-famous. Look, much love to Gus Johnson. I know you listen to the podcast. I'm just it. We we noticed it. Okay, you. I, I hope I hope you won the bet. I hope the dinner was delicious. Um, okay, and I'm with you on uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I would add Emeka Buka. It's just like the ability to flip a game on its head. Ohio State, no matter what kind of position it gets caught in, I do not think there is another. Let me see. I do not think there's another team in the country that I feel more confident that they can score quickly. Tennessee. May, like, well, that's the debate, right? Mm-hmm. Brock Bowers can score pretty quickly if you throw it off the defender's shoulder pads. <laughs> um, okay, so Michigan 29, Michigan State 7. There are other headlines that are coming from this game right now that – it's still going to be developing. Apparently, there was a, a bit of a fracas in the uh, between the two teams as they in the tunnel or in the bowels of the stadium. Jim Harbaugh has told reporters that he believes that one of his players was assaulted, uh, perhaps a a nasal injury. I don't know. That's a bloody nose or a broken nose. I do not know, but. The way that these things go, that's going to end up being the story. So whatever, we'll deal with that on a pun for the review. Let's talk about the football. What do we see in this game? I want to start with the kerfuffle because this is like the fifth year (laughs) in a row that Michigan's played a home game against one of its rivals and there's been a kerfuffle in the tunnel. Maybe have separate tunnels if it's becoming this big of a problem. Just a thought. Don't go down the same tunnel after the game when you just played a rivalry game. This stuff might not happen. Also, I don't know if you saw Blake Corum, how he started his press conference after the game. No. No. Blake Corum walks up to the podium and says, I thought Tuck was coming. Hey, I'm I'm with it. Listen, they, they've lost twice in a row to Michigan State. 
-hmm. There's some salt right there in that rivalry. So listen, flaunt it 100%. As for the game, Michigan was far and away the better team in this game. Michigan dominated the game. And Michigan only won by 22 because as we kind of touched on while talking about Ohio State, they had five red zone possessions and they only got 23 points out of them. And if you just look at their drives overall, their first eight drives, well, their first seven drives all reached Michigan State territory after starting in Michigan territory. They didn't punt on any of them. They fumbled on the first one and they scored on the next six and they still only got 22 points out of it because they had to keep settling for field goals. Then finally, on their eighth drive, they scored a touchdown only because of the uh, they they got the ball. They started at the Michigan State eight after a blocked punt, and then they scored two plays later. But it's just it's a problem for Michigan. They are getting in the red zone. They are driving down the field, and then teams are kind of just loading up the box to take away Blake Corum, and Michigan can't score when they do that. And it is hard to be a see it throw it guy in the yeah. red zone. You need to be able to throw with some anticipation. And he's not there yet with that. That's why I kind of wanted to trade them a quarterback. Remember, I wanted to trade them Drake May, and we're like, that would kind of ruin the sport uh, if, if Michigan had Drake May. Even though, like, JJ is good. He's just, I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I also don't think they have guys who are really getting open. Yeah, like guys that can win in short little spaces like that. But yeah, it's that's just something I, I think Michigan's very defensively. They're phenomenal. Like Michigan State got a touchdown drive early in the game. Took a, I think yeah, they took a 7-3 lead, and that was the only thing they did. I think, let me check. Last I checked, the Spartans had negative one yards in the second half. Uh, they finished with zero. Wow. So they picked up a yard at the end. So, yeah. Or no, no, the yeah. 63. I'm sorry. So they got some dry, They got some yards on their last possession of the game. But, yeah, there was, like, early in the fourth quarter, they had negative one yard in the second half. This is the the form that Jim Harbaugh wants this team to take, that they are going to run the ball, They are going to suffocate you defensively. And on both sides, they are wearing you down slowly to be able to win in the third and fourth quarter. The efficiency is going to be strong. Not the red zone efficiency, at least in terms of touchdown percentage, but on a down-to-down basis, Michigan is going to be excellent. And that's going to get them wins against most of their opponents. Not Illinois, but against most of their opponents. Yeah. Clearly not. Smoke them. Um. More on the Fighting Illini here coming up in just a little bit. Uh, Finally, TCU 41, West Virginia 31. Also, Kansas State 48, Oklahoma State 0. What was that? Kansas State 48, Oklahoma State 0. All right, listen. Top 10 team. I know we gave Oklahoma State a whole lot of crap all year long. I did not see 48 to nothing coming. <laughs> That's just wild. Yeah, I I watched a little bit of this, and I just felt like, like Oklahoma State was kind of a beat-up team, sort of how Ole Miss was tonight. And the difference was they, they played a much better opponent in Kansas State than Texas A&M. And so like them being that beat up, it was tough, right? Um, they Kansas State was just fresher, and Oklahoma State looked like a team that was just limping in. And they, they whatever their bye week is, they, they need to get to it uh, pretty quickly because Kansas State just smoked them. I mean, it was just they were non competitive, uh, really from the start here. Mm-hmm. And well, I was gonna you, say, I've got bad news for you. 
It already happened. Bye week. Yeah. 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 It's Tom, What'd you get out of this one? Uh, there, there's not a whole lot to take away from this one. Oh, no, you don't want to, you don't, we don't, we don't want to rub it I'm in. Not, I'm not going to, dude, they lost 48 to nothing. I'm going to run it up on them even more. Like <laughs> they got the crap beat out of them by like, a Kansas State team missing its starting quarterback. Like they were playing a team with its backup and they never had a chance. Deuce Vaughn was cooking early and that's when you knew it was a problem. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay. Well, and they and like Kansas State kept pouring it on to the Wildcats currently uh, sit in solo second place in the Big 12 standings. They have a head to head win against Oklahoma State, which could become very, very important. They have an upcoming date with Texas, equally important. And then, of course, that one conference loss coming to TCU. The other loss that Kansas State has doesn't even look that bad anymore as Tulane sits now in potential Cotton Bowl position uh, in the American Athletic Conference, though they might have some competition from uh, a team near Bud's neck of the woods, though we might get to that uh, a little bit later. What about TCU? Still undefeated, 8-0 and after they go to West Virginia. And this thing was a little dicey. I didn't... Had, at what point did you think TCU was going to lose? I don't think I ever thought they were going to lose. I think it it felt like every other TCU game we've seen this year where it's like they're very good, they're very explosive, and their defense never allows them to pull away and get comfortable. I I would say, like, you, you think about the anatomy of an upset, right? When, when the opposing team is converting a lot of third downs and they're, they're getting some fourth downs and, and they're getting some weird turnover stuff going on, at the half, TCU had 13.3 yards per play. Yeah. Right? I just – I looked at the injury report. I'm like, okay, unless West Virginia is just going to get some transfer portal guys here at the half, they're probably never going to get stops. But there was a weird, like, 10-minute stretch in the third quarter when where – he scored? No, TCU only ran three plays mm-hmm. because they, they dropped the punt. And then I was like, oh, there it is. Like, there's the stolen possession for West Virginia – and they didn't do enough with that. And I mean, guys, the Mountaineers were kind of lucky that this score was as close as it actually was. They almost got doubled up in yards per play, nine to five point four. They were very much like, "Hey, we're going to convert third down. We're going to convert fourth down." Sort of the the Kentucky plan. If Kentucky actually did it well, and then TCU's out there like, "Oh, another bomb, another explosive." Sonny Dykes becomes the first coach in Big 12 history in their first season as head coach of a Big 12 team to start the year 8-0. and That stat sponsored by the ticker that I thought I saw. If it's wrong, I apologize. <laughs> I, I do want to say, though, like I, would, I just want to give appreciation, a thank you to Max Duggan for throwing that touchdown mm. with seconds left. I'm sorry to anybody who was a West Virginia better. But for us, who were on the over and had to watch these teams score 49 points in the first half and follow it up with a three-point third quarter that put the thing in jeopardy so that we needed, like we should have never been in that position to begin with. So thank you to TCU for saying, you know what? We know how important the over is to the lock agreement, to the Cover 3 podcast. Let's just chuck this ball in the end zone and see if we can't get it for them. 
Was that our first lock agreement that we cashed this season, yeah. Tom? You and I are now one in seven on lock agreements. Oh thanks to the TCU Horned Frogs. Go Frogs. Heroes. Heroes. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, TCU is probably going to hang somewhere around the same position after the result. Uh, the whole top of the rankings are mostly going to be static. Would like to hear if these gentlemen think there's going to be a real debate for number one, but... We will let you know what we think the new AP Top 25 is going to look like and our conference-by-conference review of all of Saturday's action and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, the uh, AP Top 25, this will be the last AP Top 25 that is not influenced by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. As I've detailed on CBSSports.com and elsewhere, they do take a very interesting relationship with one another. Playoff committee either deciding to follow or divert from what the AP Top 25 releases on Sunday when they release on Tuesday night. And then with the Tuesday night rankings and a new set of results, sometimes some reaction from the AP voters as well. We can't help it. We're all human. It's imperfect. That's what makes it beautiful. So I'll start right at the top. Do you think that Ohio State, which in voting points was very, very close to the number one spot, five, 1,530 for Georgia, 1,513 for Ohio State, However, the first place votes a little bit more uh, divisive. 31 for Georgia, 18 for Ohio State, 13 for Tennessee. After Ohio State's win at Penn State, do you think the Buckeyes can get number one? I do, yeah, because I, I think there are some voters who might switch from Georgia to Tennessee with their number one overall vote. And my thought is generally, like the people voting for Georgia at number one are probably in the Southeast, and they probably might have a little more Tennessee bias to them as well. It's just totally just flying by the seat of my pants theory. I did not look this up. So if I'm wrong, if Georgia has a big like West Coast contingent of voters, then, then this theory is totally bunk. But my thought is like if a couple votes shift from Georgia to Tennessee, you might have Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Tennessee 3. Yeah, I think there's a decent chance because there are going to be people out there like Chip Patterson who hate Georgia and think Georgia wasn't very impressive today. I thought they were fine. 
I thought they were okay. They were okay. They were, they were good. They were they were good. They were appropriate. They they were dress code. You know what? Listen, yeah, George, you know what Georgia was? Georgia was appropriately dressed. Georgia was not stunning. Georgia wore exactly what it needed to wear to get into the grill room on a Wednesday night. They put on a blazer if you need a blazer at your grill room. They had a collared shirt tucked in if you need a collared shirt tucked in at your grill room. They were in a very Georgia fashion, appropriately dressed. Yeah, no, I I think that Ohio State will probably get more first place votes than they already had because beating Penn State is like Tennessee killed Kentucky, and that's a killing a team that's ranked is still big. But I don't know how much respect there really is for Kentucky compared to Penn State. So doing it on the road might get them a few more first place votes. And I do think Georgia will suffer from a game in which people will be like, they didn't win by as much as they're supposed to. So. Yeah, I, I think it's in the cards. I don't know if I agree with it. They should be number one because like, this is the second week in a row where they've won, but they haven't really looked to be at peak Ohio State while doing it. My projection uh, on CBSSports.com is Georgia will retain number one. The lops, it was my theory going into the night slate was if Tennessee lost or faltered at all, then while I, I'm with you, bud, generally, but I thought that maybe if those votes were up for grabs and you were trying to decide between Georgia and Ohio State where you were going to go with it, that Ohio State might have gotten a little bit of a nod there. But I think that it is the most interesting storyline heading into uh, the AP Top 25 release, whether or not uh, whether or not Georgia will be surpassed by Ohio State. Now, also, the biggest, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if you go resume-based, like Tennessee's got the best win. Georgia's got the second best win. Because beating Oregon right now by 46 is a better win than Ohio State beating Penn State. I would I would agree with that. Neutral site. I mean, well, you, uh, Tom Fernelli himself said that season openers, you know. I, I'm saying I think that the people put too much stock in them, but that's not going to stop them from putting too much stock in them. I think that Tennessee might come out as the number one team in the college football playoff rankings. That seems like something that the selection committee would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think they'll have Clemson like more low than or lower than people realize, and they'll they'll try to create this narrative drama about how oh will Clemson get left out if they go undefeated? No, and but like like we'll move them up at the end because it's conference championship, all that kind of stuff, right? It's just um. I, I could see Tennessee being number one to start this thing. Um, what about biggest riser in the college football playoff ranking? Yeah, uh, I I've got Kansas State. I think that this is going to be a team that even though they've got two losses on the season, if AP voters decide to act like a college football playoff selection committee and take injuries into consideration, then you've got a two loss team where one of them was against an undefeated TCU team. I've got Kansas State checking in at number eleven. And again, UCLA is still in action, so that could change, but right now just outside the top 10. Let me ask you this. Is Ole Miss back in the top 10? No, they're at 12. So you've got Kansas State coming in ahead of Ole Miss? Jumping Ole Miss. I don't think that's going to happen. But I was surprised by the way they've treated Ole Miss in the ballot last week, so I could be wrong. What, what about North Carolina, Chip? Like they, they, they could make a huge jump. They... They really throttled you know Pitt tonight, and the rest of their schedule looks a little bit better after today. I'm, I'm thinking they, they could be all right. 
21 to 17 is my projection for North Carolina's jump. I think that they run into this roadblock of like Penn State, Utah, LSU. Where are you, is a voter going to put North Carolina ahead of those teams? And I think that becomes a little bit difficult given that the Tar Heels still have to play Wake Forest, still have to play NC State. You know, some of the tougher opponents on that schedule are still there. And while the Notre Dame win, which by the way, if you want to find one three loss team that might be in the top 25 on Sunday, it might, might be the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I would go Texas over Notre Dame is the most. Yeah. Uh, so Notre Dame lost at home to Stanford, which is down 24 to six at the half and, uh, did not even have 100 yards yet in this ballgame. And they lost at home to Marshall, who today lost at home to Coastal. So I I do – yeah, sprinkles. sprinkles. I, I, I do think that Notre Dame's losses continue to look a lot worse. And if voters actually pay attention to that game, they will know that Schrader got knocked out, the quarterback for Hughes. That's a, that's a they, – They probably did not pay that's attention. That's a big conditional to throw yeah. in there. Uh, well, well, we got to pay attention. What the hell is this? But that's is isn't eleven points the closest margin that Ohio State's had all season? And you've also got wins against Syracuse and North Carolina. Like the Notre, the Notre Dame profile will be weighed down by those awful losses that you mentioned. I was just saying, just keep an eye on the Fighting Irish teams that I think are going to drop out: Kentucky out, Cincinnati out, South Carolina out, in. Is the Liberty's time? Are we ringing that bell? They were off. I think they, seven and one, and they were right on the edge last week. I think they get in, but man, like, who have they played? Wake Forest with a one point loss to the Demon Deacons, a quality loss to but Wake Forest with claim to success. No, I think they'll get in because they are seven and one or eight and one or whatever they are now but they they will be the south the new south carolina of the ap top 25 um ucf was on the very edge of breaking in and then they went and lost 34 to 13 to ecu by beating cincinnati though it was at home i think that the knights are a good candidate to potentially show up as well but all this like churn and turnover and the type of teams that we're talking about at the edge is why i think that man, Syracuse might not fall out. I don't think it should. I mean, if it's six and two and its losses are to Clemson and Notre Dame, like but we just talked last week about how sequencing seems to matter in this thing, right? If, if you win all of these games in a row or you lose all these games in a row as opposed to ping pong and you, you, you get you know more rewarded or, or, or more punished. So they've got to win against NC State and NC State, which if you talked to me on Thursday night, I was like, I know they won, but they might fall out of this. But then you you start comparing them, and you're like, all right. I don't remember. <laughs> NC, yeah, NC State against Oregon State. Okay, you know, NC State against Mississippi State. And all of a sudden, this NC State team, which has defeats to Clemson and Syracuse and now has a third-string quarterback who led a three-touchdown comeback win. Looks pretty good, by the way. And looks pretty good. Shout-out to uh, MJ Morris for uh, for leading that comeback for the Wolfpack. Yeah, I think NC State is still there. And so Syracuse's win against NC State's now quality. It's it is a mess. Uh I've got Oklahoma State's drop as they have now uh they are now six and two. They've got wins against Texas Baylor and Texas Tech, but 
you know, now we've got a, a couple losses here. I've got the Cowboys falling down to number 18 from number nine. Is there any chance they can just drop all the way out since they lost 48 to nothing? No. I thought about them penalizing the like margin, but again, like the teams that we're talking about at the end of this ballot, it's going to be really tough for it's going to be really tough for a voter to look at a six and two squad with the wins that it has and be like, no, for sure. This other team's better. All right. Who has better wins? The Knowles or Oklahoma State? Who has more losses? The Knowles or Oklahoma State? Yeah. Uh, I think if it, what, Oak State is too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't listen. They're not going to drop out because they got killed. That you don't go from the top ten to unranked with one loss. I forgot they were top ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very legit. I think. Speaking of the top ten, how many voters have the courage to put Illinois in their top ten? We'll find out. I've got them at thirteen. Wow, you're a hater. Should they be top ten? Or if they were not named Illinois and they went in the top ten, would we be like, hey, this team? This is the one this week. All I'm saying is, like, if you look at their defensive numbers and then you look at strength of schedule, according to FPI, the Illinois strength of schedule is pretty much the same as Georgia's. Illinois has better defensive numbers, and Georgia gets all the credit in the world because their defense is filled with guys who had high recruiting rankings, whereas Illinois is playing better, but they don't have a bunch of five stars. So it's just, well, they haven't played anybody. And we'll see what Georgia does against Tennessee next week. Okay, so is it possible that Nebraska was one of the three best wins of the season? Or you just go Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. Those are the three best wins. I think, see, Nebraska today, like, to be clear, Nebraska, like, Casey Thompson went out with an injury late in the first half, and once he was gone, I mean Nebraska's offense didn't do anything. I don't think it would have. I don't think it really impacted what the final score would have been, but Nebraska's offense was just from that point on. But I would say the three best wins are yeah, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Yeah, I mean that's I've I've got Illinois ahead of North Carolina. Both one loss teams, both sort of lacking in that like really awesome win that you can hang your hat on. That's uh, I think that's the thing that's holding Illinois back, though their defensive statistical prowess, as you mentioned, they are one of the best defenses in the entire country. I will say the other stat from FPI that they have is the average win probability for the teams in the country and all their games combined. Illinois ranks sixth. Mm. Damn. Yep. They're just beating the hell out of everybody they play. But nobody cares. We will find out where Illinois lands. We will find out if there's a change over at number one and who might pop in near the edge of the rankings where, again, we are projecting there to be a lot of turnover. Uh, be sure to check out cbssports.com for an article called Tomorrow's Top 25 Today. And, of course, check out the eight new AP Top 25, uh, which will be released on Sunday. All right, now time for our weekly review conference by conference Let's begin in the Southeastern Conference, where, among other headlines, was Texas A&M starting true freshman quarterback Connor Wegman. He had just seen his first college action. And at the beginning of the game, oh, heavens to Betsy, they're playing tempo. They were moving the ball fast. Oh, how the vapors. Like, I, 
And then they went away from it. And Ole Miss ends up winning this game. Um, Bud, you are the Tempo King. You are the Jimbo Fisher offensive um, critic of choice. What did you make of Texas A&M start, which included like Evan Stewart's showings? I mean, it was like freshman, 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 offense and defense. What did you make of Ole Miss's comeback? And ultimately, uh, the Rebels hanging on for a three-point win on the road in College Station. A couple takeaways here. So number one, the streak is alive, boys. Under 30 points yet again against FBS teams, dating back all the way until October 23rd, 2021. So well over a calendar year, and it's going to last into November. So uh, yeah, quite a lot of uh, a lot of dollars being spent in College Station to not score quite a lot of points. Number two, they did go fast early in this game, which was encouraging because I feel like if you have a young kid, maybe simplify some things. Jordan Rogers had a nice breakdown uh, on the broadcast, by the way, of Jimbo's defense of his system, saying that everybody in the SEC ran it, and Jordan's like, they, they really don't. That's not true. Uh, and then also how it's simple, and Jordan's like, it's it's simple in that it doesn't have that many plays, but with all these different adjustments in each play, uh, it's not simple at all. So he really kind of just eviscerated the, the lines that Jimbo was throwing out there. Uh, but I thought Wegman looked pretty damn good, right? They were they had a simplified playbook for him at times. They did slow down eventually because you got to go through all the play sheets and figure out what the right call is as opposed to just getting the call in like Lane Kiffin seems to be able to do in plenty of time. But, you know, 28 to 44, he threw for like, what, 340-ish, I, I think. So pretty good. Four touchdowns. No picks. He did have a couple balls that could have been picked. So this could have gone a little bit more blown open. Um, but ultimately, they stalled when they got in opponent territory a little bit. And uh, I think AM fans should be excited about Connor Wegman. And it does make you wonder, like, why weren't you doing this a little bit earlier? Although Ole Miss's defense the last four weeks has been terrible. So I'm going to reserve judgment on just how good Wegman is because last week, he did not look good against South Carolina. So who's next on that schedule for them? Probably who, who have they not played in, in, in the West? Ole Miss? Ole Miss no, is no, off, no, and then no, they uh, – A&M, I mean. Oh. Uh, A&M's got well, – Florida or something? Uh, but they've got – let's see. Florida. Florida, Auburn, UMass, LSU. Oh, they might score a lot of points here on out. None of those teams really play that much defense. So, the juggernaut, Texas A&M. And they're going to cost me some money next year when I bet them for the national title and also their season win total under, which is kind of a weird straddle. Uh, how, like their run defense is still bad. Uh, Miami ran, ran the ball on these guys. Everybody so far that they have played has run the ball really well on AM. And uh, Old Miss tonight, their running backs ran for 390. And that's, mm-hmm. with, uh, that's with Evans being hurt. Yeah, Judkins ran for 205. Yeah, 390. I will say congrats to Connor Wegman because to use Chip's words, everybody remembers their first college action. That's that's true. Everybody remembers their first college action. Um, When was Evans? Was Evans hurt late? He had a couple big runs in this game. No, no, he, he he came into the game hurt, and they they like he couldn't stay in for very long. He had a, a he had the knee brace on early, and then he didn't have it on anymore. Um, and then like he was in and out of the lineup. They wanted to rest Judkins more, but Evans really couldn't spell him as much as they wanted him to. It looked early on like AM was pacing towards exactly what you wanted, force Jackson Dart to beat us, load up against the run. Um, 
that passing attack is still not very productive, but once that Rebels rushing attack gets into a rhythm, you are in trouble. I mean, it was it was shocking the number of injuries that Texas A&M was getting in the middle of those Ole Miss offensive drives. I mean, just really surprising how many players just needed to walk off on their own power after needing some medical attention. I hope they're Did all you, okay. Did you see Kiffin's post-game interview? No, I did not. Oh man, he had a field day. With so on that, like, did he mention that too? Kind of, but he really went in. And he's like, "What? What do we run for? Like three, three ninety? He's like, "That's God. Like, what's uh, like, what's the exchange rate on on that? Since we did it on five stars, right? Like, that's that's, that's pretty good to go three ninety on all these five stars." And they're like, "You, you got any Halloween plans?" And he goes, "Maybe I can get a Joker costume from Jimbo." And just he just like let let it out. It was uh, it was pretty wild, man. Uh, but also asked what's his name, uh, Cole. Afterwards, he's like, "What's our record? Eight and one." Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Ole Miss. Finally, and look, you mentioned the defense. I thought that the defense was playing well early in the season. That might have been the competition. I am also willing to entertain the idea that they are exhausted. Yeah, that like a. When defense already, it's a defense that is cobbled together with transfers and players who are playing above their either recruiting profile or height, weight, speed. Like it, it, it looked like it was a lot of effort, a lot of try hard, a lot of good communication, good scheme. And so, if they were starting to get a little rickety down the stretch, I would, I would chalk maybe that up to exhaustion. But Alabama ain't no joke. That is going to be the next opponent on the schedule. That game in Oxford on November twelfth. Uh, elsewhere across the SEC, the Alpha Nerd put Shane Beamer in a closet. Uh, Arkansas wins forty-one to twenty-seven. What else stood out from the weekend in the Southeastern Conference? We might be back on Harson Watch because Auburn's got a new AD. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Auburn's run defense has been bad for a couple weeks now, and. Arkansas is not a team you want to play if your run defense is bad. Ask BYU. And it basically, that's all it was. Like, our, our Arkansas just ran the ball on them constantly. So that was pretty good. What about uh, what about South Carolina? Guys. They're not good. I, I was waiting for them to just create more defensive and special teams touchdowns because last week when I said I really was not impressed with them and their win over AM, I got told that that's not luck that defensive touchdowns and special teams touchdowns are something they do. But apparently, like, it's not something you can do every game, even though it's definitely not luck. It's it's it's, it's more skill than luck. Yeah. I, didn't get uh, my, I didn't get my eyes on this, but it looked like Missouri's defense, which you have called out before, was good. Was playing better. South Carolina had two drives of more than 25 yards. Yeah, they yeah. finished with 203 yards. Yeah, there's going to be some, like, I guarantee there's going to be some pass catchers transferring out from South Carolina this fall. Busy, busy, busy day in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Louisville 48, Wake Forest 21. Do you all want to discuss uh, other results? North Carolina beats Pitt. UConn 13, Boston College 3. Miami 14, Virginia 12, and four overtimes. A four-overtime game with zero touchdowns. And Florida State 41, Georgia Tech 16 was, compared to the rest of the conference, just 
lacking for drama or intrigue? Uh, Where do you want to start in this glorious conference? I'll, I'll take Boston you. College since I saw it. Uh, they That's lost a they lost another offensive lineman. So I think that I know they had one defensive lineman they pulled over to play offensive line, maybe two. And then they lost your Kovic as well. And shout out to Jim Mora because they took advantage of that and they won the game. They beat Boston College outright. It's a huge win for UConn. But I mean, BC's just out of players. Is Hathley in any trouble at all? No, no. I, I don't really know what you would expect if you lose that much on the offensive right. line. Like, I mean, if you're pulling over defensive linemen to come play center, you kind of just are out of dudes, I guess. I ask because not all athletic departments understand things. They just kind of get mad. I don't have inside info that, that he's not. I'm just saying, like, I, if you're an AD, you should at least know the roster as well as some guy on a national podcast that we have to watch a lot of different teams, and they're they're pretty screwed injury-wise, I, I think. Uh, UNITY lost badly because Wake Forest was like, hey, let's turn the ball over eight times. Remember when Miami did that? That was cool. Let's see if we can do it too. No, they one-upped him. Let's do it in one half. Yeah. No, no, in one quarter. Here was the third quarter. Everything that I'm about to say happened in one quarter of college football by one team. A Wake Forest pick six. A Wake Forest lost fumble. On another Wake Forest lost fumble, another Wake Forest interception that didn't lead immediately to a touchdown. It was just eventually to a touchdown right after that drive, just not a pick six. Another lost fumble that led to a touchdown, a punt, and then another pick six. Eight turnovers in the game in total, a 35-0 to zero third quarter for the Louisville Cardinals. The score was 14 to 13. Wake Forest led at halftime, and it was not a game by the time the fourth quarter started. We mentioned in, in upon further review Abdullah, the, the edge rusher for Louisville, and he, he gave him trouble all game. Like that was that was one of the real keys here. But that, I mean, Tom, you probably watched more of this than I did. This was this was incredible. Just it was the second pick six when I said, you know what? I don't think this bet's going to win. Yeah. Because <laughs> I felt really good at 14-13. I was like, you know what? Hey, you, you weathered the storm. Yeah, they started out down 13 nothing. They came back, took the lead before halftime. I was like, oh, okay, they'll be fine. Second half, they'll win this game. They'll cover. And then turn over, turn over, turn over, turn over. And yeah, no, was, Louisville was just heating Hartman up the entire game. They were just destroying that Wake offensive line in the second half. This was like the third instance of Sam Hartman, who I still maintain is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But in his career, there have been these the Mayo shooting, Bowl. these like shooting stars of performances. Yes, the Mayo Bowl against Wisconsin. He could not stop turning it over. The ACC championship game against Pittsburgh. He could not stop turning it over. And it trickles out to the whole team, and it stacks on top of each other. And I just... I would, I, I can't put myself totally in the position of a like Wake Forest fan, but I would imagine that you take the 17 touchdown to one interception clip against all the other games that you have, like 10 to 12 games at a time. But man, rough time against a team you don't like to be able to catch that really, really bad performance. 
Yeah, as punishment, I will be removing Sam Hartman from the quarterback power rankings this week. He'll probably be back the week afterwards, but we got to send a message. We got to let him know that today was not acceptable. And Drake May might be climbing up again in the power rankings because he was awesome once more in North Carolina's win. His ability to throw the ball with zip down the field across his body Mm -hmm. and hit guys in stride is not normal. Like that is, (laughs) I, I think he's, I don't know if he's the best quarterback in the country yet, but I think he's the most talented. I think like, he's like physically in 2024. He's what people think Will Levis is or yes. will become, but he already is that guy. I I think. And like he had to go into the tent to get bandaged up because he, he got uh he got speared while he was sliding and uh can't see for, for Pitt. They're one of their best D linemen got ejected here. And then I think I actually think he got his his foot or his hand stepped on at the end of that slide. Cause I, I looked at it and I just I couldn't figure out where like why he'd be bleeding. But anyway, um so Pat Arduzzi did this classic like run, run, run and throw on third and long thing, and it actually worked quite a bit in the first half. Like, oh wow, okay. UNC secondary is that bad. Credit the UNC secondary for tightening up a little bit, and uh Narduzzi keeps losing the right way. They're just playing true traditional football, just pound the rock. In a game where you probably need 40, you know, it'll it'll get you 24. So in Charlottesville, it was six to three. Virginia lead. Miami is driving. Miami has uh they are in scoring position. The ball is at the seven yard line. It is third down and goal. And there is an extensive review uh because there had been a penalty. They'd gotten the ball to the two. It was, uh, I think it was a false start or procedural penalty. They they wanted to go back. They wanted to check everything out, get the clock right, figure out the runoff. It was 10 minutes between snaps. Miami goes out there, this huge third and goal, and all they do is just dummy it up to see what Virginia's going to do, call timeout. Okay, so remember, you've had 10 minutes to be able to think about what you're going to do. Then you call timeout. Then you go to the sideline. Miami returns to the field, third and goal. You score a touchdown, this game is over. And after all that time and a timeout, you know what Mario Cristobal did? He ran the ball up the middle. He ran a play right out of the spring game playbook. And you know what it did? It didn't score a touchdown. It got back to the two-yard line where they proceeded to kick a chip shot field goal to send it to overtime. Now, joke's on me, I suppose, because Jake Car- Jake Garcia had not been excellent and if he was a, Mario Cristobal was afraid that he was going to throw a game losing interception, he would rather just see if you can run it in from seven yards out and then go win the game in overtime because that's what Miami did, winning fourteen to twelve in count them four overtimes. Bud pushed this at minus two. Miami money was coming in; it was two and a half, it was three. And guess what? This stood out to me based on the new overtime rules. This didn't happen in the old overtime rules. If you're sitting on anything. Out at like two and a half or beyond, you're dead. Done. Yeah. By the time we get into the two point conversion off. So, bud, you get the push. But uh, I'm sure that obviously, since the line moved, lots of other Miami betters furious this thing had to go to a third overtime and turn into that. Yeah, including me, uh, because I couldn't get my full share on on, on just two. So it was a, a, a split result for, for myself. Uh, Miami's offense is just not it, guys. 
right now. I, I know they are missing some guys, but uh, missing a couple offensive linemen. Garcia has a lot of arm talent and doesn't really know what to do with it yet. I don't think they're helping him out a whole lot. And yikes, that was uh, – they're kind of a disaster right now on offense. Virginia, see- though, did you see this, the, the stat? Of, I'll, I'll probably butcher this, but they had like – I think it was 15 snaps inside the opponent 15 and failed to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And and one uh, listen, and one of them was wide open, and it was so open that like he was scared. He was like, "Wait, I, I, somebody should be marking me right now. Why am I so open?" And he dropped it. Uh, I did hear, by the way, from from chatter that Tony Elliott's buyout is reasonable. No way. <laughs> like, not for this year, but, like, let's keep this in mind for our show notes when we're thinking about next year because that could be a two-and-done situation if they are this bad again. Yikes. Coming up on the other side, we continue our conference-by-conference conference review of Saturday's action with the Big Ten, Pac-12, and more next You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Um, all right, let's go to the Big Ten. Illinois 26, Nebraska 9. We've mentioned that game briefly. Iowa 33, Northwestern 13, Minnesota 31, Rutgers 0. What stands out from the Big Ten slate? Uh, Iowa scored 33 points in a football game. And I was I really wanted Texas A&M to score 30 because I had the meme ready to go. I was going to be both Iowa and Texas A&M scoring at least 30 points against Power 5 teams on the same day, and it was going to be the Kevin Garnett, anything is possible to me. <laughs> Tom, so, Iowa almost had 400 yards. I know. Brian Ferentz, I think if you're Kirk Ferentz, you got to consider giving him an extension. Okay, so this, this is NFL interest. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So the NFL interest is only to trigger an extension. I thought the NFL interest – was the off-ramp. No, no, no. I mean, now, after today's performance, you really want to let a guy go in who's leaving, who's scoring 30 points a game with that defense? You're unbeatable. I think it is stunning that uh, Northwestern still has not won a game in this country during this season. I don't. I don't think, I mean, Northwestern hasn't won a Big Ten game in America in nearly two years now, I don't think. Gracious. They're they're not any good at all. I I, I mean, we talked about this on, on the Wednesday show. I'm not saying the COVID year doesn't count, but I do think you can view it differently than than other years. If you take that COVID year out, Northwestern is now 
I don't know, vamp for me. I'll, I'll look up what actually, I'm not gonna waste any more show time. They're like two in a million in Big Ten play in, in the last three non COVID seasons. It, it's and they're not competitive. Like these aren't close losses. Twenty point loss. No, they, they did beat Rutgers last year, so they have one win against Big Ten competition in American soil in the last fifty two, fifty fifty five weeks. Um, I don't have. I need to update my notes. Did Baylor win? Baylor won. Money last. Ooh, forty five seventeen. Okay, oh, uh, closer than that until the end. All right, uh, Oklahoma twenty seven, Iowa State thirteen, Baylor forty five, Texas Tech seventeen. I got no eyes on Oklahoma Iowa State, and clearly uh, had checked out after, or at least had not circled back on Baylor Texas Tech since halftime. Any anything on either of those? I mentioned this on HQ earlier today. Like Iowa State is not a good team. They are now zero and five in the Big Twelve, but they are they do an excellent job of dragging you down in the muck. Like they lose these games, but nobody really looks very good against them. Yeah, I I agree with Tom on that. Uh, I did get to see a little bit of that game and the fake field goal that Oklahoma ran. Was- uh, I'll give some credit to Oklahoma because it looked like it was specifically designed to exploit the type of rush that Iowa State was doing, and they they had the balls to call it and called it, and it just parted like the Red Sea. And uh, yeah, man, that, that was that was a nice call. You don't see kickers running like zone outside zone very often. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if if you are, because obviously we, we're still a podcast. Basically, Iowa State created a big time bubble with its rush to where like they literally had just two gaps once the rush happened uncovered and the kicker just ran right through it. Uh, shout out to uh, David McNichols, three and nineteen in the big in Big uh, Ten play for Northwestern. Excluding 2019, or excuse, excluding the COVID year since the start of 2019, man, I butchered that. In the Pac-12, Oregon 42, Cal 24, USC, things got a little dicey in the sand out there at Arizona. They do end up winning uh, that game by eight points, 45 to 37. And Arizona State, Colorado is done. Arizona State 42, Colorado 34. So eight-point result, Arizona State, Colorado, eight-point result, USC, Arizona, and six touchdowns for Bo Nix. Three passing, three rushing, two interceptions, uh, but the Ducks after, again, like another situation where some teams did get trapped. I mentioned seven ranked teams took losses. A couple of those were to unranked teams. Oregon was not going to be one of those. Uh, what do we think from the Pac-12 this week? Cal missed the field goal in the second half. That kind of hurts for those of us who had the Bears plus 17 and a half. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, it was uh, Bo Nix kind of looks shaky early, got his act together, played well from that point on. Like you said, he's counted for six touchdowns, threw for over 400 yards, 11.8 per attempt overall good day but the the early interceptions kind of kept cal in this game a lot longer than i felt like they deserved to be i agreed with that um new quarterback uh borgay for arizona state totally tore up colorado i i think they really should have should have played him last week he's much better than emory jones is and uh colorado is playing hard so give him credit for that not that arizona state's any good but they get the back door there on a punt return uh, backdoor. So, so um, 
there's a question in the chat and I guess we should have, we should bring it back. Utah 21, Washington state 17. I nope. are there they, any, they won without cam rising on the road on a fight. Yeah, You know, rising didn't play. Yeah. yeah well, but no, I'm saying like, is that, is that a thing? Cause there was a, who wrote it? Somebody wrote it as like a column talking about. Kenzano. The, yeah. Kenzano. The, cause our boy Petros was mad. They had put together. They, I, they should be mad. Well, because they had put together entire like packages and planned their broadcasts and everything from Utah had said he was going to be good to go. He's going to be good to start. Everything around the game indicated that Cam Rising was going to play. And when you asked for any details on it, Kyle Whittingham just said not available, not available. I, I don't. I'm not that upset. I'm, you know, it it factored into the, how I projected the game would go. I lost a lock on it. When I said over 55 and a half, certainly that was considering the idea that Cam Rising, the star quarterback for Utah, was going to be in it. Very disappointing when that wasn't the case, when he was sitting on the sideline wearing a headset doing the Macarena instead of you know being on the field scoring touchdowns. But I, I'm not coming out of this with any big picture like, we can't have this in college football. Not yet, but we will soon have a thing where this is not acceptable because all these leagues will eventually take money from the sports books. So they'll take the Caesars money or the DraftKings or whatever. And what those books don't want is to have to refund money because people are betting on props that have no action because the player didn't play. And what they really don't want is consumer confidence in the game to be hurt because the, if it, you know who might get this information? Pro groups, pro syndicates. Not joke, you know, like just casual better guy. And that's bad. If he starts to think these games are rigged or fixed, like Chip, you probably felt like, oh my God, like I, how do we not know that Cam Rising was out? I bet the I bet the over. Now we work in media, we understand this happens. Your average fan out there betting on these games doesn't get that. And so this is why the NFL has these very explicit injury reports. There's not a whole lot of mystery in the NFL. You know who's likely to be out who's likely to be in, and then you make your bets based on that. So as soon as all these leagues start to take sportsbook money, and it is coming, then this kind of nonsense will not be tolerated. You can't hide a quarterback injury in the NFL, and you will not be able to do it in college once that starts. But for right now, it's the wild, wild west. And Utah is like a fortress as far as getting information out of there. Just from talking to people who do this kind of stuff, I guarantee you like that's one of the places it's really hard to find out information from. Also, like there's somebody in the comments who was saying, oh, weep for the poor multi-million dollar television networks. Television networks are trying to put out an entertainment product for you. And they're trying to do it with all the information they have to give you a good broadcast. So when all the information that they get to try to give you a game worth watching that they can tell you and inform you about what you're watching is then thrown out the window last minute without any extra prep, that hurts the broadcast. That hurts you, whether you bet on the game or not. Right. And in. Petros didn't say anything on the broadcast. I thought that they did like I they did a fantastic job of pivoting it away. It was only because of the Canzano column yeah. that I found out that there was a little bit of, you know, dis disappointment, I would say. Nobody yeah. got I, I can't say anybody got mad. I didn't have any conversation with them. Yeah, and Petros wasn't like, to be clear, he wasn't like calling them out or criticizing for him. He was just telling them what happened. And he's like, he's like, we were caught completely off guard because we had no idea. Yeah, everything from Utah indicated. Uh, so anyway, 
like good for Utah. You know, you were able to uh, get in and out of Pullman. You, that was another another stage of trap week, uh, and you were able to survive. Okay, best of the rest before we get out of here. The one that I had on my board was uh, UCF, as we mentioned, getting a win against Cincinnati. I when when you said Plumlee was knocked out of the game, did he come back? Oh, okay. Man, I'm so happy that you watch UCF. I mean, I watch UCF before like Monday's shows, but like on Saturdays, I feel like you really hold me down um, and and really represent the the UCF eyes that we need here on this podcast. Because I I thought like we all kind of thought to various degrees that Cincinnati was was BS, right? The the way that they screwed around with Tulsa, the way that they screwed around with USF, and for them to lose on multiple game winning drives, basically to UCF's backup quarterback whose name I don't know. That's kind of tells me what I need to know about Cincinnati. Like they are not, they're not a top 25 level team. They're probably not really a top 35 level team this year. Great job by you, by UCF. Cincinnati out of the rankings, UCF, again, a team that uh, we are projecting will be in. All right. Anything else from across the board that, uh, that we want to hit on before we get out of here? Yeah, I got a wild take to throw out 75 minutes into the show. Yeah, let's go. You know those fan reaction shots you see in every single game? Some of them are plants. Some of them are production plants. We got good ones from Syracuse, and Syracuse has been good for us this season. I think that's just a Syracuse football thing. Oh, really? It's not like it's a broadcast school? Lots of interns, lots of PAs, maybe on mm. hand because there was one. And again, most of them are real, but there are one million percent plants out there. And a lot of good producers are probably doing it. But there was one. There was a woman in the Syracuse game who had after the pick six on the first play of the game, had a dumbfounded mouth agape look on her face, which is common, can happen when you're surprised. But she held it for like 25 seconds with no other movement and not talking to anybody else around her. And the camera was on her the entire time. Clearly, she was told, if something crazy happens, do that. We're going to come right to you. I thought you were talking about the West Virginia uh, person who uh, plant or implant. Uh, for sure, was was strategically planted That's, in the stands there, Tom. Uh, if you were talking about that one, then I, I definitely caught that. Um, all right, Shout Other, out uh, Charlotte. How about Charlotte getting a fifty-six to twenty-three win? How about against Charlotte? Rice? Big, not nicely done there. Did did you did you sprinkle that? No, I thought about it. Yeah. Did, was that a we hated our coach game? Was there something going on there that we weren't aware of? That was a feisty performance for a team that was horrible all season long. It really was. Um, nice win for FAU to beat UAB. UAB is kind of knocked out of the of the race now for the CUSA. And staying in the CUSA, North Texas goes and kind of whips Western Kentucky in Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. So we might get that North Texas UTSA rematch for the CUSA title, which is kind of interesting. Last one for me here. Did you see what happened in Akron? I did not see it, no. Okay, so for the two-point conversion, Akron runs Philly special, which is that like kind of like a little reverse throwback to the quarterback thing. So the, uh, the quarterback gets popped with a blindside block on Philly special, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the 
backup quarterback for Akron comes out and talks smack to the dude who got blindside blocked. So he gets flagged. Then he talks smack to the ref. So he gets ejected under the two personal foul, uh, you know, sportsman like rule. So then Akron has to attempt the two point conversion from the 42 yard line. <laughs> it was not successful. Go, go. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> did you guys see what happened at the very end? Because do you know what I did, bud? I was like, I didn't think the Akron game was close. No, you're talking about the two point try that when they would be down 27 to three prior to the touchdown, right? Yeah, I, I did not watch this live. I went back and found it. it, was, it I, I got a text about it. It was. Uh, uh, <laughs> speaking of terrible games between terrible teams, shout out to New Mexico State for getting the uh, the the twenty three to thirteen win over UMass in the bottom twenty five game of the century of the week. The Aggies are three and five now. How about them? How about can, them? We, can we just talk about what is happening in the Mountain West right now? This is like bizarre world. All, all three of these scores are just completely jacked. Hell yeah! I hope they. I hope the one in Fresno sticks. Fresno got Jake Hayner back and is losing 28 to 10. That's right. Wait, well, I, I don't know if Hayner's playing. I assume, uh, he is. Yeah. Don't just invite Aztec warriors into your house and think things are going to go smooth. Nevada up 21, 14 against San Jose state. That is that's weird. Your, that's your Nevada Wolfpack and Hawaii up seven to nothing against Wyoming. But I'm going to go ahead and, and we'll go ahead and bookmark an upon further review topic with the Mountain West title race reset. Entering the month of November, what does the Mountain West, Mountain West title race look like? Because there's no doubt that these results are going to throw it all into the air. You kind of called it the Mountain Rust there, which I think is a better name for the conference this year. <laughs> so you accidentally gave it the correct name. <laughs> Mountain Rust, Mountain Rust Conference title race reset coming up on Monday in upon further review. That's when we will be back with you unless we need to gather together on Sunday to discuss a potential job opening in the Southeastern Conference. We will see. I'm, I'll make a prediction, a hopeful one. They're going to do an official athletic, uh, athletic director introduction before the official firing, right? Actually, you know what? I have to work next Sunday, so Auburn, if you're going to do it, do it tomorrow. But we somebody's got a podcast. Shit. Okay, yeah. Okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Two birds, one stone. Come on, Tom. You know how this goes. The story's already written. Story's been written. We just keep going in every week and just updating the records. There's, it's not like there's new developments as to why Brian Harson is being fired. He's losing to Power 5 opponents and SEC opponents at an alarming rate. They don't even need to dig up dirt at this point. There, there's your reaction podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you guys.
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.